The views expressed in this episode may be distressing and controversial for some audiences. The opinions expressed are not held by Why Believe or its associates. Listener discretion is advised. six years old or seven, I remember going into my dad's office and I was like, I know God's not real. Why does NASA care to keep things from people? Uh, one time I remember, this was like the first time I've ever actually seen something where I felt, what the heck, how did I see that? I looked down and I saw a book and it was sort of moving and I didn't know how to really explain that. Statistically, there are aliens. Statistically, there are a lot of aliens. You've tuned in to Why Believe, the world's most controversial podcast on religion and belief with TikToker and researcher Kale O'Donnell. Welcome, guys, to the podcast today. My name is Kale, and we're here with Dominic Andre, who's a popular TikToker and YouTuber. Dominic, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really good. I, I know that today you're in LA. Yeah, yeah. I just got into LA for the week to do some videos. And guys, I have to say, um, Dominic actually gave me the idea of doing a podcast, which is interesting because I never thought of doing a podcast. I never thought, I thought, you know, TikTok was a fun thing um, because those of you who are listening, um, I do TikTok as well. But um, yeah, Dominic gave me the idea of podcast. So it's great to have the guy who had the idea on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'm excited. I'm really excited that you, you went forth with it and I'm really excited to see how it's evolving. <laughs> so Dominic, I suppose I'm curious to know, cause you're kind of a little bit of a mysterious person. There wasn't much I could dig um, on you online when I went to sort of do the Google searching and the stuff we need to do for the show. I couldn't really find much about you. Um, you have lots of things to do with science, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about your uh, personal life. Um, and considering this is a podcast about beliefs, I'm interested to know your personal life, um, your background. Have you been in a religion before or been spiritual? Yeah, so basically, um, I grew up and I'm half Palestinian, half Lebanese. Uh, and I grew up going and staying in the Middle East every summer for three, four months. And so obviously, it, the religion is very strong in the Middle East. Um, and I um, basically would stay there. And I was born Christian, like my family was Christian. Um, specifically, my dad's side of the family is called Maronite. And Maronite is one of the oldest Christian uh, religions. But what it is, is it's, it's Catholicism, but they call it Christianity or Christian. They just call themselves Christians, but they do everything that a Catholic would do. Um, so, so they basically operate exactly like a Catholic, but they call themselves Christian. Um, and so I grew up in that and um, I never really kind of absorbed it. I would go to church pretty much every Sunday, roughly. Um, I never really attended like any type of uh kind of, you know, youth, youth groups and different things like that. It was more just like going with my grandma and that's what she did. Um, but at like seven years old, uh, six years old or seven, I remember going into my dad's office and I was like, I know God's not real. And I know you guys are just keeping that from me because you want me to be a good boy. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to believe that. And so basically I stopped believing at that point and I still attended churches, you know, occasionally. And then um, I just kind of never absorbed it. So I'd always go and just kind of like, yeah, this is all whatever. And when I turned like 14, um, my next door neighbor, who was like my best friend, they were uh, born again Christians, very, very strong, hard headed. And we kind of clashed a lot. So I still became, he was like my best friend. And I would go to youth groups with him, Bible studies, Bible camps, 
Uh, but again, just still never absorbed it. It was just like, cool, you know, I've read the Bible, I've studied the Bible, but I, I just don't believe it. But then debating with them a lot got me really kind of frustrated and I really wanted to um, kind of learn more about it, like actually learn more. So I put in a bunch of time to actually study it. And so I never was religious. I did attend churches a lot. I did go to a Christian school for seven years. Uh, every Tuesday, we'd have to go sing hymns and we'd have to go to church on campus. Um, but I never really just absorbed it. Me and my brother both just said, eh, I, I, I know this isn't real. And so we both just kind of went and went along with it, but we never absorbed it. So, yeah. Wow. So what part of, um, of America did you grow up? I am in Southern California and I've lived in Orange County my entire life, besides obviously the few times I'd go to the Middle East. Wow. So the Maronite religion was the, was the religion that you, your family was a part of. Was that something that your family in the Palestine also follows at the moment? Uh, yeah. So basically my grandfather, and this is probably what led to the idea that I wasn't like super, um, you know, religious is that my grandfather hated religion. Now he was religious, but he hated religion. And so he was like, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in just, but I don't like churches. I think it's all a scam. So every wedding, every funeral, my grandfather would just stand outside and he's like, I'm not going in there. Um, and so my grandma was religious, who was married to him, but not that she wasn't like all about it, but she, she was religious. She just didn't go. On my dad's side, my grandfather was religious and he prayed a lot but he didn't really go to church. I don't think that often he was weird there in the Middle East. My grandma who lives with me now, the only one that's uh, alive of them, she goes to church every Sunday and every single morning spends an hour and a half. Um, and she lives with us. She spends an hour and a half praying every morning. So like I wake up every morning and she's there praying every morning. So my family's really religious-ish because it's kind of like either you're really religious in my family or you're not at all. And my dad was religious, but didn't really kind of practice. My mom grew up with the family side where they didn't really believe in religion, but they liked the religious aspect of it. So my dad was religious, but didn't really care too often. And then because me and my brother became very adamant about science, he started to look into it. Uh, and he's just a very open-minded person. So he instantly was like, oh, so now he has the same exact beliefs as us. Right. And like you said, you were seven years old when you realized or felt that God wasn't real anymore. Um, and you and your brother sort of had the same kind of idea as you grew up um, about God. I'm interested to know you have a, a beautiful um, soon to be wife or girlfriend and uh, she um, posts about um, her Arabic roots as well. I'm curious to know, is she a religious person? Yeah. So with her, normally we don't talk about it just because her family gets so stressed out, but um, with her, she's not really religious anymore. She was in the beginning um, but she's not really religious. Um, she does like believe kind of, but it's more about like, like she's, she doesn't really practice anymore. That's not, she does, she doesn't like religion anymore. Um, and she, she's more non-religious, but she doesn't to think about it too often. Uh, just cause she gets stressed out about it. She's like, Oh, like if there is no God, like I get stressed out. So she doesn't really talk about it too much. But when we first started dating, she actually like cried because she found out I wasn't religious. And she's like, oh my gosh, like this guy's the worst. Like he, I could never be with him. And then like over time she would listen to me and she's like, oh, okay. So now she's, she has like the same views as I do, but she just doesn't talk about it as much. I'm just interested to know about atheism. What is atheism to you? 
Yeah, so atheism constantly gets misidentified and it's really frustrating. So a lot of people don't know this. Um, I've even had philosophy professors that I've talked with and had to explain it to them. Um, a lot of people do not understand what atheism is and a lot and most 99.999% of uh, agnostic people have no idea what atheism is. Atheism and agnosticism are exactly the same. And there's a reason for that. There are two types of atheists. There are Gnostic atheists and there are agnostic atheist. Agnostic means you don't know. Gnostic means you do know. So you can be an agnostic atheist, meaning I don't know, and I obviously don't believe in any of them right now. And Gnostic atheist would mean I, I know that I do not believe in any of them. And there basically isn't a God. So atheism just means I don't believe in a God. That doesn't mean that there is not one. My belief is independent from the truth. Uh, it's just what I position myself if I were betting, right? Because we're all making a bet at the end of the day. And for me, my position is I'm just not betting because I don't know. And so it doesn't mean that there isn't a God. It doesn't mean that I, if someone asked me, is there a God? I'm like, no, there's no God. It's not that. Atheism just means I don't believe in one, but my belief is completely independent from the truth. Now I could believe there is no God, but there still could be a God. And so anyone who says like there is no God and I know that for a fact there is no God, it's just ignorant. Um, that would be a Gnostic atheist and you really don't have anyone that believes that. Most people say, yeah, there could be 0.00001% maybe, but that's, there's still a chance, which makes them an agnostic atheist. So from a religious standpoint, if someone says they're an agnostic or they say they're an atheist, they're exactly the same. They both do not believe in that religion. And so it's frustrating a lot because people will be like, you know, I'm, I'm agnostic and I'm like, oh, I'm, a, I'm atheist. And I, I say it proudly because I think obviously there's a stigma to it. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I just don't know, but I'm not atheist. And I'm like, no, you are atheist because at the end of the day, if we're going by, let's say Christianity is true, you and I both don't believe you are the same thing. Um, you know, just saying I don't know doesn't mean anything. You still do not believe. And so for me, atheism to me is just the, basically you do not believe in something. Um, it has, it's completely independent on whether that thing exists or not. Right. I suppose some people are scared to say they're atheists because it sounds like such a scary title. They sort of hide behind the agnostic, but it sounds like it's the same thing as you're describing. I'm curious to know now you're, you say you're an atheist. So on the topic of God, you are unsure. You're not convinced with the present evidence that we have of the current God claims. What about angels and other spiritual things maybe spirits and uh, karma. What about other spiritual themes? Do you believe in anything like that? Yes, yeah, so I, I don't. And, and so for me, like I said, um, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're not real. It just means at the present time, from my present perspective, that there is not enough evidence to believe it. And for the reason is, is that if there was one unified idea of ghosts and spirits, maybe it would be a lot more, you know, um, reasonable to believe in it. But for someone to tell me, oh, reincarnation, and then the Christians to say, we don't reincarnate. And then for, uh, uh, you know, a Hindu to say, oh, this kid actually remembers his past life and he was able to recite it to a T and he doesn't even have internet. And when we Googled it, we found out there was a guy back in the past that had that exact same life. Um, you know, someone will tell me that. And then another person will say, oh, you don't understand I'm Christian. And I felt God and I've seen God do something. And so I say, okay, you obviously don't believe in Islam, right? They're like, no. I'm like, so I've heard Muslim people say the exact same thing. Are they crazy? You know, what would you explain 
to them is happening. If, if you're explaining that it's happening to you, but you know it's not happening to them in the way they're describing it, if they're crazy or if they're feeling something and maybe they're not crazy, but they just feel something, they don't, they're misidentifying it, what's the likelihood that you might just be misidentifying it? And so for me, it's really hard for me to take a perspective of, oh, ghosts are real or this is real when there's not even one unified understanding of ghosts. Some say they're good, some say they're bad, some say they could be both. And so that's the problem these days is that, you know, there is no unified grand theory on these things. Everyone has a different perspective and they don't even align with each other. And so again, it would be different if we looked at humanity and we understood that we're very intelligent beings, but we're not intelligent beings. You know, um, I always tell people, regardless of who you ask, 90% of the world is wrong. To Christians, 90% of the world is wrong. To atheists, 90% of the world is wrong. To Hindus, 90% of the world is wrong. So we all agree that 90% of us are dumb or, or, mis or misunderstood or you know, confused. So for me to tell, to have someone come up to me and say that, and I go, well, you're already telling me you think 90% of people are wrong, but you're, you're somehow confident you're not a part of that 90%. How do you know? And so that's the problem these days is if I was debating and competing with just one religion, one unified understanding of religion and non-religion, it would be a lot more compelling. Um, and that's the Pascal's wager. Um, so for me, that idea is that when it comes to ghosts, when it comes to those different things, if they can't even agree with each other, I can't agree with them because I'm not going to choose sides with people who agree with similar ideas, but completely disagree on every other aspect about that idea. So, yeah. Hmm. So are there any gods that seem more convincing to you than others? Um, no. And so for me, when it comes down to it, um, when we look at Christianity, um, born, let's just say Christianity and Jesus, right? Um, he was born of a virgin on December 25th was the idea, although they say he wasn't really born that day. Um, and that he was followed, you know, by three Kings and, um, you know, he was born in, in, under, in Bethlehem. Uh, it's ironic because when we look at the ancient religions before Christianity, uh, Hinduism had born of a virgin, had born of a virgin and died on a cross for three days. They actually have those exact same stories. And in fact, they all stemmed from the old, old ancient religions of basically the stars. So when you look at the stars at night, we have on December 22nd is the shortest day of the year. And for the Northern Hemisphere, that's winter. And what happens is on December 22nd, for three days, the sun rises in the exact same place. So when we look at the sun, uh, and just say this is the sun with my finger, it's rising here. So we have long days and then we have short days because it's kind of going over quicker. And so on December 22nd, as it's moving towards December 22nd, it's getting shorter and shorter. And on December 22nd, it starts to reverse to come back up. And so what happens is for three days, they used to say the sun dies. And on the third day, December 25th, it starts to come back up higher and rise up again. And it comes into spring. And so farms used to grow and they would actually bring food. So they would pray like, oh my gosh, please, God, 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 please bring us food. Please bring us life. And spring would be coming. So December 22nd, they would pray for three days and basically because the sun would die. And in fact, where the sun rises on those three days is a constellation called the crux or the cross. So they used to say the sun dies on the cross for three days, bringing new life with it and comes back alive. And the Orion's belt or the three kings happened to point exactly where the sun rises. So they used to say the three kings in the sky are followed by the sun rising and born. Now the 12 apostles come from the 12 zodiac signs. 
And so all of these stories of, of Christianity and even Hinduism all stem from the old ancient personifications of the stars, of what they thought was religion at the time or gods at the time, the stars. And so it's really interesting when they tell me that because, or they you know, say like, which will listen to mine, my book you know, predicts all this and that, so do all of them. I mean, Nostradamus also predicted a lot of things. Is he God? And so that's what it comes down to when I look at all these different religions is they're all stemming from the exact same story, um, the same way that, you know, Ju uh, Judaism started the Abrahamic religion and then it led to Christianity and then it led to Islam. All three of them stemmed from the exact same story, from the exact same person, Abraham. And so it's really interesting because they're all the exact same thing just changed a little bit here and there. It is the evolution of religion, no different than Protestant and Catholicism. And you see those evolutions. And in a thousand years, if those are around, they're going to be so vastly different. And so for me, none of them look more uh, compelling than the last. Um, you know, to me, they're all the same. I see. And that's so interesting. I never realized that about the um, 12 apostles being the the 12 zodiac signs as well so you're saying that your view is that all of the religions are just copying each other and they'll just sort of put it their own flavor to it and that these stories are very ancient stories that we've heard all before um, but somebody just decides on a particular religion and, and sticks with it um, because they feel that it made sense to them or that they were raised in that kind of religion so I know now that you don't believe in, in ghosts, in spirits, in angels, things like that, that, that don't have much evidence behind them. Have you ever had any supernatural experience that you've put in the category in your mind of, I don't know how to explain it before? Um, so I've had like some things where I'll, I'll see something and I'm like, oh my gosh, what was that? But um... Honestly, when you kind of start to analyze people psychologically and you start to study them and you work with them, um, you start to realize that people will see things and our bodies are not great. Um, you know, there are animals that have way better eyes than we do. Uh, there are, you know, animals that have way better legs than we do. So like we are just obviously animals and we're not perfect. So our eyes can misidentify things and it happens often. And so for me, when it comes to supernatural, I chalk it up to you know, uh, one time I remember this was like the first time I've ever actually seen something where I felt, what the heck, how did I see that? I was on like antibiotics and I was very sick for a few days. And then I think I was off them for a little bit, but I was just exhausted. And my dog had passed away like six months before this. And I remember returning and my dog was just sitting right there. And I've never in my entire life ever had an experience like that. But instead of saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, my dog, you know, I saw my dog, even though obviously it's not real, it's a ghost, maybe it's a ghost, maybe it's God. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm exhausted and that's reasonable. I'm literally exhausted to the point where I might be delusional and that's very reasonable. Why doesn't it happen when I'm not exhausted? Why doesn't it happen when it's not at nighttime? You know, it's ironic that everyone's like, I see ghosts at night. And I'm like, what do ghosts have to do with nighttime? What, like, what, why nighttime? Like, that, that, that makes no sense. And it's, it's just ironic that it happens to be the time where your eyes don't work well. Uh, you know, there's some ghosts that are like, oh, they, they want to be seen. Okay, then why do they come out at daytime? Why are ghosts only at nighttime? Why is it only superstitious stuff happens at night? Um, night is arbitrary. And so I really find it weird when people say that because to me, I'm like, I look at it and it's called Occam's razor. And I'm sure you may have heard of this, but Occam's razor is the idea that, you know, the simplest explanation is most likely probably the real, the, the right one. Um, and in 
you know, if you, the example that he gave was if a door shuts and two candles blow out, your first instinct shouldn't be, oh my gosh, there's a ghost in here blowing them out. It should be, let's look around. It might be the doors. It's probably the pressure, you know, probably the wind you know, why do you go straight to ghost? And so for me, I look around and say, okay, well, I, I'm pretty delusional. I've been on antibiotics. I'm exhausted. It's nighttime and my eyes aren't working well. So for me, I've never really had a supernatural experience because I always try and chalk it up to what's around me. What's the simplest explanation before I jump out of the simplest one and go straight to ghost supernatural spirit. Wow. I suppose that's interesting because I've kind of had a similar experience. It wasn't necessarily that I saw a dog or something. Um, but I've been thinking how I can explain it. And um, it was when I was young and I had come out of a church experience. There was some sort of visiting minister and I went home and, and I was on my bed and I think I was praying or something. And um, I looked down and I saw a book. Um, it was a Christian book, I think, and it was sort of moving. Um, and I didn't know how to really explain that. Um, but I suppose I've spent many years trying to think about how or what that could have been, um, whether there, my dog was there and the tail may have, I may have not even seen the tail, it was moving it. Maybe it was, I don't know, just I was exhausted from the meeting. Like you mentioned, exhaustion could be an explanation for why our, our eyes don't work. And it was at night as well. So um, do you have any ideas what might have been moving my book? Yeah, I mean, that's a good example. So for me, uh, the first thing that I like to think of is, um, you know, right now, scientists are discovering all these different things, wormholes, you know, learning about these things, you know, with all these things, you know, we're going to start to quickly learn in the future, how much the universe can really play in our in our daily lives. Um, and so how much that there could be supernatural things that happen, but are just physics. Um, and so when it comes to that, sometimes, you know, um, based on the material that it's sitting on, you know, I, there's some things like, uh, for example, this happens a lot with cups. If you put a cup down in the surface of the table's wet, red cup, solo cups will slide. You will see them just all of a sudden just start moving. Uh, and so those happen a lot. People are like, look, I'm like, there's just water under it, relax. You have condensation and it's basically making a barrier between the table and it's causing that. So sometimes, yeah, it might be your eye. Sometimes I've looked at stuff and I think it's moving and it's not. Uh, you know, that happens a lot. Again, like our eyes don't really, you know, they deceive us a lot. You know, sometimes uh, it could be on itself. Sometimes you miss, you misremember things too a lot. That happens a lot where you'll see something, you kind of freak out and then your, your body just, you know, misremembers it. The other thing that's really important when it comes to supernatural things, or, you know, I remember when I was in class and uh, I was, this was kind of rude of me, but one of the kids was basically saying, oh, I had this supernatural experience where I, you know, I felt this weird thing where my hands were tingling and I was lightheaded and I went outside and I prayed and blah, blah. And I was like, okay, it sounds like a panic attack to me. You know, you're, you're, you're taking a panic attack and you're misidentifying it. And he had just explained how he was on ecstasy that weekend and was leaving. Uh, I'm like, first off, you were high. <laughs> Secondly, you were leaving an event, you were exhausted, and you're, you're taking this thing that only happened to happen when you were literally high as, oh my gosh, this is God telling me something. No, it was a panic attack. You had tingling in you. It's the exact symptoms of a panic attack. And so there's the other thing is uh, something called the, 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 um, the law of large numbers. And so the idea is that basically, you know, we're going to live for around 80 years. There are bound to uh, bound to be things that happen that just kind of pique your interest of like how the heck did that happen one kid said oh my gosh one day i was praying for god to give me a sign and i was at a, a red light and all of a sudden the light turns green for this this you know uh, basically like line to come out of these cars to start turning and every single car leaving that street had a believe in jesus sticker 
Okay, but how often do you ask Jesus for a sign? And how often, or God, or whatever God you have. And if, if it doesn't happen, you know how many people tell me that they, you know, they prayed nothing happened, but they kind of just chalk it up to, and eh, whatever. But when something does happen, oh my gosh, how did that happen? You know, that's like me going to the, to the roulette table and putting on 27 and then rolling and rolling and praying to God every time. And then on the 27th time it hits and I go, I knew it. God came in here and he did that for me. You know, I was saying, I go, how often do you take that route? He goes, I take it every day. I go, okay. How often do you ask God for a sign? Uh, not too often, but I do. Okay. Well, the, the street that you're talking of has a church. You're bound to get to a point where you happen to be passing them at the right time where those people come by. And so when you look at it, everyone kind of looks at themselves and go, well, I, this, it's not about you. It's about thinking there are 50 cars sitting at this light with me, 20 cars. There's a good chance that one of them might be praying, you know, religion's a big part of it. And there's a good chance that, you know, one day as those cars probably leave that church every day, that someone might be praying at that exact time. And you just happen to be one of those people. And so it's really difficult to explain that to people because they always want to look at it from their perspective. Everything is about them. And I think that's so ironic because that's literally the opposite of what pretty much any religion teaches you. Um, you want to look at everyone else. And so for me, I always, again, look at it. Okay. If I was walking down the street and someone said, God's about to save you. And then I walked and then a car like, you know, dodged it and like, you know, almost killed me. And then another thing happened, another thing happened to the point where like the odds are just astronomical. Okay. Maybe. But when the things that you're talking about are pretty basic, you know, or there are people who survived getting struck by lightning. What happens if one of them just happened to have prayed the day before? Even if he prayed the day before, he'd probably chalk it up to God saved me. That was a sign from God, you know? And so it's a really ironic. What is the expiration date of a prayer? You know, what is the expiration date of a, of a coincidence? And so I think it's really interesting when people, you know, see something or say something or pray and, and they, they just put things together that may not have or should not have been. Um, and then again, I, to defeat those people in the debate, I just say, okay, God did that for you. But there's a guy over here that's, you know, Hindu and he prayed and, and this happened to him. So why is God just like granting prayers, trying to prove each religion to each other? Uh, why is he trying to make it more confusing to people? So again, uh, it's all about looking at the, at the large picture. Exactly. And, and why is God a guy? You know, why is he the male figure? in uh, religions it's it's um, and what is what does god when he's depicted in religions look like the culture so the catholics exactly, yeah. god is white and then in the hindus um you know god is dressed in their cultural clothes he's not dressed in suits or whatever um so it's interesting how men have been making these gods um so you said that you believe earlier in conspiracies could you tell me what conspiracies you believe in or, or what are conspiracies for you from your perspective? Yeah. So for me, I'm actually like a big, like advocate of like anti-conspiracy. So for me, like, I don't believe in conspiracies. Uh, obviously some could be true. You know, they all could be true, but for me, I, I really love talking to conspiracies with people because I love to kind of narrow down. And so what I teach people when they want to kind of learn how to debate with these people is you never try and convince them of the facts. It obviously wouldn't work because clearly they're not going by the facts. They're using facts that they think are true. And so they base their entire belief off evidence that's not even true. And 
they think, well, if this is true, then this must be true, or what we call a hypothetical syllogism in philosophy or critical thinking, meaning that if A, then B, then, you know, if A is equal to B and B is equal to C, then A is equal to C. That's what they do. They say, okay, well, if this is true, then this is true. But they don't question that first thing. They kind of just say, oh my gosh, did you see this video that happened? Look, look, that means this. And then I said, well, did you even question if that video is real? And so for me, the best way to defeat any people who believe in conspiracy theories that are usually obviously a little bit you know, out there is to never try and show them the facts, but to narrow down why they believe what they believe and the likelihood of it being true. So for example, flat earth, I asked the person instead of saying, let me explain to you scientifically, this is not gonna work. Obviously the science is out there, they don't care. And say, okay, okay, you believe in flat earth. Um, why did we, you know, we found out that the earth was round, you know, two, uh, a few thousand years ago. Uh, I forgot the exact person who did it. He put two sticks in the ground. And because a round object obviously doesn't cast a perfect shadow if a light is straight above it, um, they put two sticks in the ground about 20 miles apart. And because the earth is round, it starts to obviously tilt the sticks. So at exactly 12 o'clock for both of them, uh, they both checked the shadow. And on one of them, the shadow was perfect because the, sh the sun was actually right above it. But on the other, there was a bit of a shadow pointing one way because there was an angle coming in. And so they determined, okay, wow, we're both at 12 o'clock doing this at the exact same time, but yet your shadow is different than mine. The sun is at a different angle. So they were able to there actually create a triangle because they were able to say, okay, let's, let's do this and see the points come down. And they built a triangle out of those two sticks and they were able to actually calculate the circumference of the earth based on that. And this was, and they were off by like, like a fifth of a percent or like they were off by like just a few percent. So they were pretty close to doing them thousands of years ago. I so, said, okay, so that's when we found out that the earth was round or, you know, we're convinced. Why and how did that happen? And why is someone trying to block us from knowing this? And so the, the theory that this particular guy gave was, well, the government knows that God is real and he's hiding God from us. Or they're hiding God from us. Okay. So God is all powerful. God wants us to go to heaven. It seemed like he was a Christian somehow. And I was like, okay. So they're hiding God from us. And what does the earth being flat around have to do with there being God? You know, if we're floating regardless, because we're not on a table, right? Even if it's flat, we're still floating. Um, what does that have to do with, with God? You know, and so you want to just narrow it down or, uh, oh, well, you know, look at this video. This is this, uh, you know, they said the guy who jumped out of the Red Bull was fake. That was all fake. It was a stunt. I said, okay. So I go, now Red Bull's in the conspiracy, right? Because obviously people who I know worked at that Red Bull office who worked on it, are they all in on it too? Does the, the graphic designer who, you know, builds the graphics, is he on, in on it? Uh, is the videographer who put the videos together and edited them, is he in on it? You know, you would have to get so many people involved and why Red Bull, right? Like, why are they going through so much effort to be like, let me go to Red Bull, have them launch something fake because obviously they would stop them. So Red Bull had to have actually tried to do it. Otherwise the execs of Red Bull would be like, wait, we're not actually doing this. So like, you know, a lot of people have to be involved. So I always want to narrow down like, okay, does that really sound likely or the moon landings, you know? Um, well, who was involved? We did build rockets. People are in the International Space Station right now. And if that's possible, clearly going to the moon is very easy if we're in space floating now. And we have been for years, we've sent so uh, we've, we've gone to the moon six times, uh, about two people landed each time. That's 12 different people. So are those all 12? Why did we have to do 12 people? You know, why, why are all 12 lying? Um, did their families know? Did their wives know? Did the people who built the rockets know? Did the people in the International Space Station, are they also lying? You know, there's, there's been dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Uh, is China lying because they've been in space? 
you know, is Russia lying? They've been in space. And that's the thing is like so many people have to be involved with these big conspiracy theories that for me, uh, it's just, it's almost never true because, you know, humans do not keep things under wraps ever. Uh, so for me, it's just these conspiracy theories are just almost never true because they're just, they're blown out of proportion and they don't understand the amount of effort that would have to be to actually con basically make this true or to make it realistic or believable. So, yeah. Mm. And that's something that I think about too, actually. There's so many people, like you said, involved that it, it's a, such a big production. You have to have big meetings or something to let everybody know. And then like you say, why? Why does NASA care to keep things from people? They, I'm sure that the people who don't want to live their whole life will pay you to keep a lie. Like it, it really kind of doesn't make sense. You've kind of had your own conspiracies um, that you've been able to talk about and you've put online and things. You've met, you had a video once about having this secret uh, writing in your house and you had this box that was buried somewhere in your house. Could you tell the audience what that whole story came to? What was that all about? Yeah, so basically there was like a story at my house and we live in an area where there's old houses and we found, and this is a perfect point of like conspiracy theories. We found um, like writing in my walls uh, in my room and like in the house. And it basically said like, don't forget the safe. Um, and, you know, obviously people are like, oh my gosh, like, and then there was a serial killer's name and people are like, this is a serial killer. And for me, my first perspective was maybe it's a friend making a joke. So then I was like, okay, like I asked my friend, I'm like, is this you? He's like, no. And, you know, as we look through, we basically find out it was just the past owner that wrote it and was just being weird. And we did find stuff, but it was nothing that crazy. And so that was the, that was the other thing that I think is so interesting is that people don't understand that, like, my first assumption wasn't, oh, my gosh, there's an alien or, oh, my gosh, it was a serial killer that really was here. It was like, my friend's probably playing a joke. Let's start there. Uh, anyone in the house might have wrote it. And then we found out it was just the past owner that wrote it and was probably a kid or something. And so for me, people don't really understand that they... Um, you know, for me, I told people, I'm like, look, this is not some crazy conspiracy. You know, a lot of people are like, it's fake. I'm like, I know it's fake. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's a serial killer out hiding in my basement, but you know, the writing is real. It's in front of me, but it's not this, you know, alien that wrote it. It's not this serial killer 60 years ago that wrote it or 30 years ago. It seems just to be like someone wrote a prank, but we followed the story along and found some weird stuff. And I'm going to be releasing more of that soon. But you know what I mean? Like for me, I'm like, again, everyone jumps to conclusions. I'm like, that's the thing you guys have to understand. Um, it's always about just going, what's the most likely thing to happen. And so for us, it just seemed to be the last owner playing a prank or we didn't really know their intentions, but yeah. So that's what we basically found. And you're going on a popular show soon, Jubilee, to talk about aliens and give your perspective on it. What is your perspective on aliens? Yeah, so so I always tell people, and this is what I'm going to probably present at that show, is that I don't really have beliefs. Um, I have no beliefs. Um, what I have is um, perspective on likelihoods of things being true, statistically true, likely, not likely, probable, and not probable, or not true and true. And so for me, if something's factual, it's factual. If it's not factual, it's not. If there's a likelihood, it could be. And so for me, when it comes to aliens, statistically, there are aliens. Statistically, there are a lot of aliens. Um, you know, 
when I looked at some of the photos, you know, I've taken photos of space. And when you look at those photos, um, there's just so much involved. And we know that in one of the photos that they took, uh, it's called the deep space image. One of my favorite images to look at. Everyone who's listening to this, go Google it. It's called a deep space image. Basically in that photo, um, scientists took the Hubble and they were like, okay, we want to point it. They said, okay, where do you want to point it? They said, there's a spot right over there that's like really dark. We don't really know what it is. It was very dark. We'd love to see what we could find there. They took the photo. Now, if you were to take a grain of salt and kind of hold it up like this above your face and look at the sky. That's the amount of, of surface area. That's the amount of space that the photo was taken of. In that photo, there were 3000 galaxies. In those galaxies, each one had a minimum of, of about 100 billion stars and, and planets. So if the odds I tell people, okay, what are the odds of life? They're like one in a trillion. I go, great. There are trillions and trillions of stars so, and planets. So when people tell me that the odds of life are one in a trillion for it to happen the way that scientists, you know, they'll say scientists say it does, that's fine. I'm okay with you telling me that statistic because there are tens of trillions of planets out there, which means there are at least dozens and dozens of, of civilizations out there. And so that's the thing. Yes, we know there are aliens. Statistically, it'd be very, very unlikely. If this is exactly like me telling you that if I drop this AirPods, it will drop because of gravity. Yes, there is a chance gravity could turn off. It's not impossible, but it's going to happen. And so we know that aliens, yes, do exist statistically. So yes, I could say confidently that they do exist, even though it's like a 99.999%, but I like to just say they do exist. It would be one of those factual things because I, I think everyone could be a skeptic at one point about anything and say, there's still a chance that all this could be unreal. But yeah, statistically, there are aliens. Uh, have they visited? I'm sure that's you know, something that so many people want to know. Um, Probably not, no. Uh, people will point to the pyramids. That's one of my favorite. Why the heck would aliens come here and use the same exact material that we use to build a pyramid? Why a pyramid? Oh, well, it's the, it's the strongest thing. I'm sure they, did, they knew that too. You know, they, were, they, they weren't able to build skyscrapers, you know? And so when people tell me like, it's the strongest thing. Okay, it is the strongest thing. How many buildings do you know that are shaped in a triangle? one the luxor you know in vegas so like why wouldn't they just build a skyscraper why wouldn't they build it out of material that's not on earth why wouldn't they build it out of material that is earth but they just haven't been able to excavate yet it's ironic that everything that we see as supernatural happens to be within the realm of reality of what we can achieve um, and so when it comes to aliens again pyramids the pyramids weren't built that perfectly. That's just a misconception that people do there's actually a guy like in north dakota that builds pyramids by himself thousands and thousands of tons just to show how easy it is. He actually even builds stone hedges and moves them miles by himself with just rope and wood to show you how easy it is. In fact, he used just the power of leverage, wood and rope by himself to move like a 30 ton barn. He moved in his, his entire barn by himself. And so th these things we have to first understand, is it possible to build the pyramids? Yes. Stone hedges? Yes. People get misconceived ideas of what's possible because they haven't researched actual reality of what the tools we had back then and the amount of manpower we had back then. And so for me, there is no evidence of aliens visiting Earth. The logicalness of it too doesn't make sense that they would come here. Uh, my favorite is the Roswell crash, right? Aliens came and they crashed. I said, okay, we've been to space dozens of times. We've barely crashed. Our record's actually pretty damn good and we are pretty crappy at flying to space. We invented the airplane literally 60 years before getting to the moon. Invented the airplane. 
we are literally 120 years into, into planes and we're already landing on, we're going to be landing on new planets, right? They, to travel probably different solar systems, obviously, maybe even different galaxies, would not have the technology to do that and then immediately crash when they get to Earth. You know, that, 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 is, that is like saying I get in a car and I'm going to drive across a landing strip on an airport, but somehow I flip the car over. Like, not going to happen. They have the technology to do amazing things. Or well, did you see those lights? Why would they use headlights in space? They don't need headlights in space. That would be useless. And if they were trying to hide themselves, they wouldn't turn them on the second they get to Earth. You know, especially with the technology we have now, we have radar, we have uh, infrared. We don't even use lights on some of our stealth planes. Why would they? Uh, and so that's the funny thing. They, they might not even use lights. They might see from a different perspective. They might not even use, you know, uh, um, anything like that. And so people just don't understand and don't think about the odds of, of aliens being here, which is just unlikely because um, when there's hundreds of, you know, trillions of planets out there, even if they were able to move at the speed of light, the nearest star is four and a half years away at the speed of light. The nearest star. The average star is roughly 100 million to tens of billions of, of light years away. So even if they were to go double the speed of light, it would still take them billions of years to get here. And so that's what happens when you come down to thinking about aliens. Yes, there are aliens. No, they are not going to be visiting us anytime soon unless they are able to basically break down the laws of physics, which may be possible. But so far, we don't have any evidence that's possible so far. Wow. So you're saying that perhaps there are things that are uh, that are alive on other planets, but we just call them aliens. We just have aliens to, to title them as something that's out there living. Do you have an idea of perhaps what might be out there? Like that's the living, what kind of life that they would be having on another planet? Yes. So there are multiple um, types of civilizations out there in the universe and they call them type one, type two, type three, uh, planets. Um, and so I can go over that in a second right here. So type one uh, basically can use and store all energy available on its planet, which is basically where we're at, right? So we're like starting to use um, different things on our planet to harness the energy. So we're, we're about a type one civilization. Type two are those who can control their stellar, their stellar system. So able to use their star, you know, maybe to able to like use systems around their star to suck in the energy and use that. And then type three are able to actually, uh, host the entire galaxy. Um, and so those are the types of civilizations out there. Now, there are probably going to be more civilizations out there that look just like animals, you know, who might not be intelligent. Um, you know, we don't really know of the odds of what it's going to be like to be intelligent because maybe, you know, they can go again, we only started becoming intelligent in the last few hundred thousand years, actually not even the last hundred thousand years. Uh, so basically the last tens of thousands of years, that is nothing in the grand scale. That is 0.01% of the entire existence of this planet. Some planets are a billion, a double or triple the, the age of our planet. And so it's really important to think about that because when you think about that, it really breaks down the idea that some civilizations could be 25,000 years to even a million years ahead of us in intelligence. Some could be a million behind, some could be roughly around the same. And that's what you have to think about is that we first have to understand that first, yes, we know life is rare, but rare in, an, in, in, a, in a 
reality where there's trillions, still there's a lot, you know? Um, I like to think of it as when people tell me, well, you know, only 1% of, and this is weird, but I say this a lot, only 1% of abortions um, are uh, after the, or only 1% only of abortions are from rape. And people like to use that as a, like, so not a big deal. I go, it's not about the percent, because that's 20,000. That's 20,000 a year, right? And so people kind of get lost in the percent and they don't realize. So if someone were to tell me, well, life's only like, there's only going to be like life on 0.0000000001% of planets. Great. I don't care about that number. How many is that? And there's still millions because of the number that is so astronomical. So it's really important to kind of understand that and then to understand that civilizations can be vastly ahead and vastly behind or similar. But again, the odds of them being roughly around where we are are probably unlikely because we just got you know, electricity in the last few hundred years. They, the, the, the amount of time where technology advances is so small that they are probably likely to be far ahead of us. Uh, and that's something that's really interesting that Carl Sagan once said, is he said that like, yeah, he's like, they're basically gonna be far likely to be ahead of us and far likely to be behind us. Um, and it's so interesting that we spend our life, uh, and, and this is something one of my favorite speeches called The Pale Blue Dot by Carl Sagan, is he said it's so interesting that we um, kill each other over conquering a fraction of a dot, uh, you know, in this entire universe, this, this piece of dust floating in a sunbeam and we're sitting here killing each other to see who's gonna rule over it for just a few fractions of a second of its entire existence. And so it's so interesting to see that when you look at uh, the planet Earth from a distance, uh, my favorite photo of the pale blue dot, as I just mentioned, um, taken from Voyager 1, which was launched in 1973, um, this photo was taken and it was basically taken from a distance of like, I think over a billion uh, miles away. And it's this tiny dot. And if you think about it and you look at that and you think, wow, people killed each other on that planet. People think that their religion is better than another on that planet. And they're just fighting each other on this little tiny dot, thinking that they're the best when there's so much going on in the world around them, the galaxies around them, the, the universe around them, the superclusters. Um, and so I think it's really interesting when we think about aliens and their existence because we're still animals. We are still Neanderthals. We are killing each other over ideologies that we could just say, oh, that's cool that you believe in that. And that's cool that I believe in that. Let's move on. But we kill each other and we think that it's important that we're gonna be known. You know, people always tell me, do you wanna leave your name behind? What do you want from life? I go, I don't care. Because honestly, Einstein's name is going to not go down in history. I promise you, in 100,000 years, no one's going to know who he is. You know, you're going to have to basically, the only people who are going to know who he is are probably like ancient historians who study it to just know. But, you know, we're going to lose that history because no one remembers the caveman that invented fire. No one remembers, you know, the caveman that invented the, the, fish, the fishing rod. No one remembers these people. And it doesn't matter whether you had paper or pen. We will not remember these people. So we are meaningless in, in, in time's existence. And so for me, you know, people just need to kind of think outside themselves and realize what's out there and what might be waiting for us. Wow. I really love your perspective, how you, you have such a grounded view on the world, but also you have sort of this broad view to, to give the whole broad view of the world. I'm interested to know, do you like this reality? You know, this reality is an interesting one. Uh, the one thing that I don't like about it is I kind of look around and I think how, how undeveloped humans are. 
I think I would have been much happier if I was born 100 to 200 years later, even that. Uh, you know, we're on the precipice right now of living forever. Right now, we're able to extend our telomeres, which extend our human life by up to 20%. And this is happening right now in mice. And they believe in the next 40 years, uh, or actually 20 years, uh, we will actually be able to start doing it on humans. And so for me, you know, the reality that I live in currently, I feel like I'm just born a little bit too early. Um, and that does suck. And I do think that this reality, this this ideology of existence is great, but I feel like I wish that everything would have been a little bit more connected. Um, you know, when I watch my favorite movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, I go, oh, I wish we could travel to different galaxies and different planets. Um, we just don't have that ability right now. And, and it does frustrate me um, because I think there's so much that is waiting to be explored. And, you know, I've always worried about becoming rich one day because I would feel I might get bored. I might buy everything that I want and I might do everything that I see. But when you think about what's so much out there, I get so excited when I look through my telescope to think we're not even 0 .000000, a million zeros away from discovering anything of this universe. So I really do love the grandiosity of, of how much knowledge there is and how, how I love knowledge. And that's why philosophy, which in, uh, in Latin means um, love of knowledge, philos and sophia. Uh, and so those are my two favorite things. Sophia's love and Philos's logic, uh, or so love of logic, love of knowledge. And so that's really important to me. So I do like our reality. I wish our human bodies were a little bit stronger and better. Uh, when I deal with my patients, when I, you know, work, you know, or when I'm in the hospitals and I kind of see all these people that are sick, um, our bodies are just not good. Our minds are not good. You know, people, people really get confused and think we're some really intelligent being. We're really strong being. We're not. 99.99% of people have sicknesses, illnesses. They're not perfect. They have problems. They have anxieties. They have fears. You know, we are, that's something that I wish was changed. So you see the world and you see our reality and, and our bodies as something obviously that's going to eventually come to an end. It's like you want to live more. So you want to have more years so that you can explore more and find out more things about the world and have more time to do it. Does it scare you? What would scare you more? Not existing at all eventually or living forever? Oh, I would rather live forever easily because I could always end it if I needed to. Um, so at least gives me the option to go out the way I want to. Um, I, I, I do, you know, I had, I recently had like a, a panic attack thinking about death because I thought about, you know, it's not just dying, but the idea that when you actually sit there and think nothing matters, you know, and not to say in a pessimistic point, but as in when you go outside of our earth and let's say there happens to not be life and then earth perishes one day. You know, I look at chairs as simple as something like chairs. And I think literally meaningless. It's so relative to our bodies. It's so relative to our universe or to our planet. It's, you know, tabletops, uh, gloves. All of these things are just meaningless things when it comes to the grand view of everything. Um, you know, if earth explodes one day and, 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 you know, humans go with it, obviously, um, none of it matters. None of the conversations matter. You know, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, that guy's a murderer and he killed someone. It won't matter in a hundred years, 500 years, a thousand years, if earth perishes, literally it's meaningless. So when I see people kind of die young, you know, I obviously feel bad. It sucks because I'd like to spend that time with them. But then I think you're going to go soon too. I'm going to go soon too. You're worried about 60 years and at the end of the day, it's not, it's not going to mean anything when you, when you shut down, you know, when you turn off. And a lot of people ask me, you know, 
how, you know, what does death feel like? You know, you obviously, you know, you don't believe in heaven, then what happens when we die? And I say, well, it's the same thing that happened before you were born, the exact same feeling. And so whatever you felt then is what you'll feel then uh, or after. And so for me, yeah, I get nervous and I think, oh my gosh, everything's going to go away. And all this work that I'm putting in and making videos is just meaningless. Um, so me and my girlfriend kind of take it as a point where sometimes at night we'll literally just hold each other and just like, be like, well, sometimes we'll even cry and be like, oh my gosh, I, I just don't want to die because I want to be with you forever. Like, that's what we want. We want to be able to explore the universe together forever. Um, but, you know, I, I was trying to soothe my mind recently, uh, a few weeks ago, and I started realizing that uh, we all die every night. And what I mean by that is a lot of people ask me like, oh, but I'm going to go to heaven. And they said, okay, well, what happens? They said, well, you know, you, you, won't, you won't remember anything, obviously. I said, that's the same thing as dying you love who you are, you love what you do, and you will lose all of that. Whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, or a Hindu, you lose it. You know, you get reincarnated, you lose it. Now they might say, oh, well, you could remember your past. I don't remember my past, if there is one. And I don't care that I'm to be reincarnated because the Dominic that I am today, the memories that I have today, the experiences that I have today, the things I love today will not matter at all. I will die, even if I'm reincarnated, it is meaningless. Um, and so people get confused when they tell me, where well, are you going to go to heaven? I go, even if I was, I like the Dominic that I am. I don't want to wipe my memory. That's like dying. It's exactly like dying because why would you fear dying? Right? Well, because I love my family. Well, you're not going to have them. You know, it doesn't matter if you reincarnate or go to heaven. You're not going to have them. Well, I, I, I really love my body. Well, you're not going to have it. So there's so many things that we're going to miss out on. And so people don't understand and they get confused that we're gonna miss out on so many different things. And regardless of if there's reincarnation, uh, we're not gonna basically be able to have any of those experiences anymore. Hmm. That's a really sobering perspective. And it's also really beautiful that you have someone to share this life with, um, your girlfriend, and you guys have thought about these things and, and you um, think about sharing to everybody this information. I suppose, what would you tell audiences today that might be, they could be religious, they may not be religious, that struggle with that? Um, obviously, we know, or what I get a sense of the atheists I've met, they live this life as much as they can and they love life. They, they know that it's, it's the, the, the only time that we are aware of that you'll be you know, alive. And so they get the most out of life religious people, perhaps Muslims and Christians, they, it's this life is a doormat into heaven that they wipe their feet on. It's just a moment of time before they get everlasting life. How would you speak to somebody who might be an atheist and they're a nihilist, they're depressed and they might even be thinking of wanting to end their life because they don't see point. What advice would you give somebody from a clinical perspective or even from your own perspective for somebody who's, thinking there's no point to life. What, how, you, how could you address somebody like that? Yeah, so that's my favorite. That's actually one of my favorite things. And what I tell people all the time is, even if you're depressed, even if you have cancer, right, you're going to die at one point. So why not just let it happen when it's gonna happen because you will be dead forever, but you won't be alive forever. And so I always tell myself when people, the one thing that I think I have going for me, uh, because I have so many anxieties, I hate elevators, planes, but I tell people, I said, but the one thing that I love is that even if I were to get cancer, 
I love movies. I love gaming. And if I can have just even a semblance of the ability to watch movies and hang out, I'm happy because I'm never going to be able to do that again. So even if you're depressed and sitting at home all day watching movies, that is still amazing that you have the ability to even do that. And so people don't really realize that like, it doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter if you're weak. It doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter what you, there are people who create content for you to consume and enjoy and be happy. And so for me, I think of all those different things in life that I can be doing that are just so cool that yes, we're going to die one day. So yes, if you're depressed, don't worry, you will die one day, but you might as well live. Don't end it. Never end it because you are going to die regardless. What you want because you don't like your life is going to end. So just try and enjoy it the best you can or just experience it because eventually it's not going to be here anymore. And so you might as well experience it to its fullest, whether it's painful or not, because eventually you're going to get exactly what you want and you will never exist for eternity. So enjoy it, live it out. Whether you're in a hospital bed or you're in a comfy king size bed, enjoy your life to the best ability. Shit. If you're worried and you're like, Oh my gosh, my life sucks. It's horrible. And what makes you happy is going and hooking up with women or men or whatever it is. Do it, do it. You know, as long as hopefully you're not hurting other people, enjoy yourself, you know? Um, yes, you could spend your time not being an addict. You know, maybe you're an addicted to something. That's fine. I hope you get better because yes, you could have a better life, but at the end of the day, you are going to die. So you could spend your whole life trying to, you know, sober yourself up and then die. You're dead. So if, if that's your worry, then, you know, just do your best. I do think that obviously being sober has so much more aspects to it because living a healthier life could obviously lead you to a better life, um, lead you to a longer life. And so doing that is better because you're just going to enjoy the short time you have here. But if you have a bad time here or you're born without a leg or you're born with a disability, it's okay. You will eventually get what's coming to you. What's coming to all of us. Don't end it early. It's coming. You know, um, mm -hmm. people misconceive that and they don't understand that, you know, uh, for me, a good example is I'm in school and everyone's like, you need to get a job. You know, this is before I started working. And I said, why? I'm going to work the rest of my life. I'm going to enjoy being in college. Mm. You know, I'm going to enjoy not having a job. They, well, you're not saving up money. I said, I don't care. I'm going to work the rest of my life. Stop it. I know maybe it might be a little bit behind, but I'm doing this now and I'm going to enjoy it. And that's how I see life. I'm doing this now. I'm living my life. I'm watching movies. I'm playing games. I'm making content. I'm having fun and I'm going to do it. And when I die, I die. So I'm going to live my life to what I think is the fullest for me. And it doesn't matter if someone thinks that what you're doing is not the fullest they're going to die and you're going to die. And people used to tell me all the time that my girlfriend tells me all the time, you're spending all this money. Oh my gosh, why are you doing that? You know, you don't have that much money. I said, when we're 90 and we're going, you know, on our deathbeds, I want you to tell me that that's going to be an important topic that you're going to say, remember when you spent that thousand dollars on this or that? I said, stop, stop doing that. Like if it's not going to kill you, enjoy it. That's all that matters. You're not dead. That's all that matters. So that's what I tell people. That's what I, I think every day to myself. Um, especially for those of you who are living right now who have parents that can help you. For me, my parents helped me pay for like my living. So I think to myself, that's it. I'm not going to work. I'm going to enjoy this time because again, I got one life. And they tell me, oh, well, you're the guy who's known for not having a job till he's 25. Yeah, well, when we're 90, no one's going to look back and go, dang, you didn't work. You know, like enjoy your life. So for those of you guys who have the ability to, let's say, not work for a bit and enjoy life or go to school and experience new things, do it. And if those of you guys who struggle, try and work hard for a short period of time to then enjoy the rest of your life. You know, try, don't try and work hard little by little every day to then when you're 60, be able to retire like a king. 
try and work your ass off for just a few years and live a good life. That's what matters. I like that. Enjoy the moments as they come, whether it's you're in, you know, unemployment and embrace it, whether you're in singleness and you don't have somebody to, to, to love, embrace your singleness because you might be married forever uh, for the rest of your life. So I really like that. And I really like your perspective. It's refreshing for people um, to be reminded about that, that, it, that, um, that death is part of life. It's, it's a natural process that, that happens, but enjoy these moments and embrace them and, and take the most of them um, to get the most out of it. Now, I suppose Dominic, one hour goes really fast and we're coming yeah. to the end of our session today or to the end of our um, show today. I want to give you some time now to let us know about this podcast called Chaos Theory that you have. What is Chaos Theory? Yeah, yeah, perfect. So, so basically Chaos Theory is the idea that um, in, in actual scientific terms, it's the idea that one small thing can basically cause an entire ripple effect, uh, can change everything. And it's actually a mathematical formula. It's really interesting to look at. There's actually a drawing of understanding it. Um, and basically when it comes to my podcast, as you've probably seen me talk here, one small question can veer me off uh, because I think in reality, not one thing is connected to one thing, but everything is connected to one thing. And so it's really hard to talk about one thing and only that one thing. And so people kind of get confused when they want me to explain something because they go, can you explain it? I go, well, I'm going to have to explain sociology, psychology, political, every to actually really understand what's going on. And so for me, I get so veered off that basically my topic is to bring people on and talk about whatever topic they want to, but it's just open to go where it needs to go. There's no questions and we kind of just explore. So with my last one from Alex Warren with the Hype House, um, we basically just talked about life, about his life. And then he turned it around and said, I want to ask you questions about your life. And we just went with it. And that's what I love so much. It's just a, a, a random flow of knowledge that comes out. I love that. And I really love your knowledge. It's, it's something that people can, can it's, um, consumable. It's, you know, it's something that people can, can grab. You talk in plain English. You don't use too many science jargon that people can't understand so that it's easily consumable by people. So I suppose we would be getting that from your, from your podcast. I'm really excited to, to tune into it. Also for people who may not know, you do YouTube and TikTok as well. How can they come? Yeah. How can they find you there? Yeah. So you're going to find me at Dominic Andre, D-O-M-I-N-I-C, Andre, A-N-D-R-E. And then there's an underscore at the end of it for my TikTok and Instagram. And then on YouTube, you could just type in Dominic Andre and it should come up right away. Usually it comes up with the word like safe and, and hidden message. Um, but yeah, it'll come up right away. And I'm going to be posting basically all the different crazy stuff I do, science stuff, uh, just big experiments, fun things. You know, last time, uh, a few weeks ago, we filled up an entire jacuzzi with 500 bottles of Diet Coke and then threw in a thousand Mentos. So we do a bunch of different fun stuff. I like to mix in like not super sciencey stuff, but just fun experiments that people can do at home, but like small, bigger scales. It's fun to watch. It, it takes you back. It reminisces you of your childhood and, yeah. and science class and things, but you just do it on a massive scale. Um, so it's, it's really exciting. Dominic, I've really enjoyed today's conversation and I'm sure that we can um, take a lot from what you told us today, um, whether it's to do with um, conspiracy theories and how can, how can we address them um, to getting the most out of life. And I really want to thank you for joining my podcast today. Yeah, I really want to thank you for having me. I really can't wait to listen to all the other ones and definitely you're going to have to have me back. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for listening today, guys. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in today. Go into the draw to win $200. Leave a rating and review of this episode of Why Believe on Apple Podcasts today. Follow us on Instagram at Why Believe Podcast for the latest shows, 
upcoming guests and exclusive content.